Hello, this is Jeff Otis, and you're listening to the Evergreen Exchange, where we discuss topics related to macroeconomics, investing, personal finance, and general wealth management. Today, we're going to discuss the U.S. election and its impact on markets. Joining me are partners Louis Gov and Jeff Yulberg. Louis is the CEO and co-founder of GovCal Research. Jeff is a managing director at Evergreen and a key member of our investment committee. The U.S. election is on everyone's mind at the moment, so we hope you enjoy some of our thoughts and insights as the situation unfolds. And as always, thanks for listening. All right, well, let's get started. Uh, thanks for everyone for joining us here uh, for our what was uh, planned to be our post-election podcast, uh, but here we are right in the middle of it, right? So um, this is Jeff Otis, partner at Evergreen. I'm joined here with um, also partners Louis Gov and Jeff Yulberg and thought we'd just jump right into a few questions uh, related to the election and, and investment implications uh, as a result. So, uh, gentlemen, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Good All to right. be here. Jeff, let's start off with you. Um, as we take in market reaction this morning, what's your biggest surprise after last night? Well, I guess I would say I went to bed last night after Donald's uh, victory speech, I guess. So I, I fell asleep thinking that the headline this morning would be, you know, the worst case fear of the election, the, the contested election is coming to fruition. So I would say that my biggest surprise is how calm the markets are right now. Uh, I think that's definitely on the table. There are, you know, gambling odds that look like Biden is the heavy favorite. But if you look through all of the data, it's not a sure thing yet. And I think, quite frankly, it's more of a toss up. So I would have anticipated the market to be scared by that. That was clearly the the thing that everyone was talking about is the scariest environment. And, and we're there. So you know, I think the market could be seeing through it and thinking, OK, well, Biden's actually going to win Georgia and Pennsylvania and it won't be as close when they finally count all of the votes. But at this point, seeing the market up over two and a half percent, especially tech uh, specifically, I think it's a little overdone. The other thing I would add that I think is surprising is uh, the move in interest rates. Uh, that could also be because the bond market is smarter than the equity market and they see that the contested election is at play here. Um, but I think that the, the, the talking points coming out of the election have been that physical stimulus now may be off the table, which I think is misguided. I think the Republicans, if Biden wins, will want to get a stimulus bill passed. The, the, the politics behind that are no longer as pressing. And I think you'll get something. So I think interest rates should move up as they anticipated uh, with in, in, increased physical spending um, you know, coming into the election. So those will be my two biggest uh, surprises. Louis, anything to add on that? Yeah, um, yeah, no, I think, well, first, to Jeff's point, I think if you spoke to anyone before the election, uh, everyone's answer was more or less, I don't care. At this point, I just want it to be over with. Uh, and I just hope that whoever wins uh, just wins. Uh, and right. indeed, the, the nightmare scenario was a scenario where you didn't have a clear winner, where it came down to disputed ballots, uh, and at the end of the day, that are going to, you know, are going to end up in courts and that this is going to drag on. This was, I think, everybody, to Jeff's point, everybody's nightmare scenario. And we're there, you know, where, like, whatever happens, even to Jeff's point, even if, you know, North Carolina, Georgia, et cetera, are called for Biden, you know, this is still going to end up in the courts. Um, you know that this is going to drag on. Um, so, indeed, I think it's an interesting question. Why are, why are markets uh, so non-fussed? Um, you know, we, we had another, uh, we had a GAFCAL call this morning with clients, and I think there were different possibility, possible explanations. Uh, the first is 
maybe actually the biggest fear for the markets was a massive blue wave, um, a, a massive blue wave that would see uh, tax hikes, that would see a big increase in regulations, um, and that would see basically Biden become a hostage to the left of his party, uh, where Bernie Sanders, uh, Alexander Otavio Cortez, etc., would basically be the ones dictating policy. Um, the fact that uh, what we end up with is a divided government, um, you know, Congress is definitely divided. You're going to have the Senate, you're going to have the Congress. Uh, you know, maybe you have Trump, maybe you have Biden, but with not either way, not a ton of room to maneuver. In essence, maybe the market is just concluding this is more of the same. This is what we've had for six out of the eight Obama years. Um, this is what we've had for most of the Trump years. Uh, and all in all, you know, the markets have done fine with that, right? Um, it's, it's divided government is, is not such a bad thing. Um, and it's perhaps especially good for U.S. tech. Um, U.S. tech has thrived in this environment of a divided government because the big threat to tech is a government that goes after them, uh, is a government that comes and kneecaps them. Um, a divided government is probably less likely to do that than a unified government, either under the left wing. Uh, you know, the, I think the big threat for tech would have been either a massive blue wave because the left wing of the Democratic Party is against big tech or... Um, or a, a huge Trump win, got neither, so, so tech is rallying. I want to make one last point. I'm sorry to be long-winded. Um, you know, in recent years, tech has been what we've called the, the anti-fragile asset of choice. You know, historically, the anti-fragile asset in your portfolio is bonds, right? When things go badly, you can count on your bonds to, to do well. In essence, they're, they're the offensive line. Uh, if, you're, if you think of a portfolio manager as... Um, as a coach of a football team and, you know, picking different assets to put on the, on the field, um, bonds historically have been the offensive line. They're, they're what protect your, uh, your portfolio. Um, and, uh, you know, the, rea the problem is when bond yields are at zero, tech are an offensive lineman that weigh 150 pounds. Um, you know, they just, they can't, just can't get the job done. Uh, when bond yields are as low as they are today, the bonds do not protect your portfolio like you want them to. And so in uncertain times, you think, okay, things, things are uncertain. What do I buy? Today's natural reflex, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it is. Today's natural reflex amongst investors is, I don't know what's happening. I'm going to buy Microsoft and Amazon because, because they're the new anti-fragile asset class. And again, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that it is. Um, and we've seen this again today. We've seen this uncertainty in the market, natural reflex. I'm going to go out and buy Amazon. Yeah, I think you're touching on this a little bit already, but I'll jump in here with, if you believe the current odds and Biden's elected with a split Congress, what are the investment implications? Uh, who is a winner and loser, broadly speaking? I mean, obviously, you're talking a little bit about tech right now, but anything that you would add to that? I think one big fear uh, is coming into this election. If you were looking at the polls, one big fear you could have was a, for a massive blue wave uh, that would have pushed Biden to, uh, in essence, nationalize the U.S. healthcare system or to have single payer system or, you know, do something big on healthcare. Um, with a divided government, I think that's out. That's out the window. Uh, that's that's just not going to happen. Uh, so I think the first winner, uh, the first obvious winner of the situation is is healthcare. Um, that 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 would be number one. Another big fear, indeed, was. Uh, regulation against tech, um, government action against tech. I think that's also 
the odds of that are, are dramatically reduced. Um, I think a potential third fear was a united government that would go hard against China. Um, and uh, that also uh, is probably out of the window. Um, so uh, yeah, for me, those are the big beneficiaries today. Yeah, I think the only thing that I would add is that, I mean, I think you can summarize not only, um, you know, big tech gets a, a, a tailwind because there's not the regulation fears that goes to other uh, sectors. I mean, energy also, I think, is having a nice rally today for that reason. They see the split Congress and they, and they think, OK, we don't have the blue wave. There's not going to be much legislation that gets through Congress for the next two years. So anyone that was exposed to that, I think, is going to be a big winner. Financials have some weakness today. Um, and I, I agree that, Louis, I think the biggest winner that we're seeing today is tech. And I think the big reason beyond that, beyond just the regulation aspect, was the tax benefit from here. So, I mean, I think you started seeing selling over the last 10 or 12 days because people were looking at the capital gains that they had in those big positions and thinking, OK, if we do get this blue wave and tax rates, especially capital gains rates, are going up to 39.7 percent, I need to get out of these big gains now before that happens. Uh, I was talking to quite a few clients over the last 10 days during this period. That concern was very real, and we have very smart clients. I was a little um, less concerned, I would say, than the broad market about the, the gains. Obviously, Biden has certainly said that he was going to raise taxes on anyone that makes over 400000 But if you actually get into that, I think that would have been a much bigger challenge, even if they had the blue wave. I mean, the large capital gain raise that he was talking about is not broadly supported by the Democrats. That would have been very negative for the markets. And I think in the middle of a recession, they still would have been hesitant to really rock the boat on the market. But that's all but off the table now. So they don't, people don't have to sell the tech names that they love and rotate into value or other things that haven't rallied with the market. They're able to just stay pat, and you're seeing the big rally out of the tech side now. Yeah, sorry. I'd, I'd, I'd add one more thing, which is um, it's, of course, very tempting to to focus and have our entire uh, gaze on the U.S. election right now because, because it's a big deal and because that's all uh, the media channels will talk about. But I think it, uh, a couple other things have happened uh, in the past week that are very important. The first, of course, is that Europe has gone back to confinement. Um, sure. And that, uh, in essence, I think, is, uh, is a policy error of epic proportions. Uh, the reason they're doing it is they're worried that their hospitals are going to be overwhelmed because, frankly, there's, there's, there's been nothing done in the past six months to get hospitals ready for the second wave. Uh, so there's a policy failure right now in Europe going on of epic proportions. Uh, which will mean Europe will have a second devastating recession, which means that uh, all of a sudden, you know, the, the populist vote in Europe is likely to go through the roof, uh, whether in 2022 in France or upcoming in Italy, etc. Um, you could say, well, the polls aren't showing that yet. But the big lesson from last night is forget the polls. Like, you know, uh, polls may say whatever. You cannot deploy capital on the back of, of, of polls. Um, and so... Combine the, the failure of the polls in the U.S. with the unfolding second wave recession and second wave confinement in Europe, and Europe is now uninvestable. You know, simply put, you cannot deploy capital in Europe. Um, now, you could say, well, there's still Asia. I remain a rabid bull on, on, uh, on Asia and on China. But yesterday, with the pulling of the anti-IPO, uh, right. if you were a China septic, if you're like, you know, if your starting point on China is that you can't trust Chinese policymakers and they will you know, cut you off at the legs every chance they get. Uh, the pulling of the anti-IPO 
plays perfectly into that narrative. Um, and right now, so if you're if if you start if your starting point is we live in a world with zero percent interest rates everywhere, um, and therefore staying in cash is not an option, and I have to deploy my capital somewhere. Well, you Europe has just become uninvestable. China has just sort of shot itself in the foot, at least in the short term. So it, it narrows it down quite a bit, right? So it narrows it down to the U.S., which all of a sudden looks once again like the best-looking horse in the glue factory. Right. No, we actually completely agree, Lou. We, we've been rotating out of Europe and, and specifically looking at Asia, Asia tech names that are much less expensive than the U.S. tech names. Um, you know, it was interesting. Yesterday, I was thinking about you when we uh, when the ant. Uh, IPO got pulled and, you know, I was thinking about the piece you wrote about 9-11 recently and how everyone thinks that 9-11 was the biggest, uh, you know, impact in, in that year. And, and potentially what I was thinking, the election isn't the biggest impact in November of 2020. It may have been that an IPO that we see well, how that plays out. So don't want to go down that tangent, but I was definitely thinking about you yesterday when that was coming up. I was just going to say it's so tempting to go in that direction when you have Louie on the phone, but maybe we'll save that for a follow-up conversation. Yep. Um, so, uh, and then just a quick follow-up. Any obvious loser from a uh, a Biden election with a split Congress? We talked mostly about winners, but any obvious losers out there? I, I look at it, and I think it's a, like like Louis was saying earlier. If we walked into the the election yesterday and say what would be the perfect scenario for markets, I think it would be a split election, and and you could argue whether it's by or a split Congress, excuse me, and you can argue whether it's Biden or Trump. But I think we're in that scenario. So I think financials could be heard. I think that that. Um, but for the most part, I think that this is kind of the perfect market scenario uh, for the U.S. So I don't really have a, a huge loser that I would point out. Okay. I, um, so let's I, fall, let's, I'd make go ahead, Louis. Uh, yeah. Aside aside from pollsters, um, mm -hmm. uh, another <laughs> aside from uh, pollsters being losers and uh, lawyers being winners. Yeah. Um, Maybe Nate Silver is the big loser. Yeah. Uh, no. The I would say um, I'd make quite one quick point. Um, about the losers, and paradoxically, uh, I I think both parties uh, have had their their world rocked last night. Um, the Democratic Party, um, you know, grew over the past decades to increasingly basically be a coalition of special interests, um, which is not that healthy. Uh, you want a party that represents everybody. Um, what was very interesting in yesterday's vote, and I think extremely bullish, um, is that um, you know President Trump did better amongst Black Americans and amongst Hispanic Americans than any other Republican before before him, uh, and you know and broke through a lot of trends that, that were quite unexpected, um, which is a very healthy democratic development. You know, in a healthy democracy, if you think that your country is roughly 50-50, you would want. African Americans to be 50/50 and Hispanics to be 50/50 and everybody across society to be 50/50. Not to not have a, a country split uh, where the vote is split along racial votes. Um, and this is what started to unfold yesterday. And I think that's extremely optimistic and a positive move for America, even if it's probably problematic for the Democratic Party. Um, on the Republican side. So I think that's you know this development is bearish for the Republican Party if they're basically losing control of their of their narrative of controlling special interest voting blocks it's it's bad news for them um, on the the Republican side I think what's frankly negative for them is uh, 
let's imagine that Biden does win and Trump does lose. Uh, I severely doubt that Trump is the, you know, he's not going to be a Jimmy Carter or George Bush Sr., uh, George Bush Sr., and walk away uh, and into the sunset. Um, you know, Trump will say, look, I've won more votes than any Republican candidate ever. Uh, I've won more black votes. I've won more Hispanic votes. I am the natural leader of the Republican Party, and I want to have a crack at it again in 2024. Um, and, um, and so, you know, I, usually what happens in, in America is you lose an election, you move on. Um, I, I don't think Trump moves on from this. Uh, I highly doubt it. Um, and so this will create real problems for the Republican Party going forward. I, I completely agree. I think there's basically zero chance that Trump moves on. Uh, I, there was emails going back and forth this morning with the GovCal team. And I think I kind of, and more in the Anatole camp, I think it'll be interesting to see what the Republican Party does with Trump. I mean, we have to remember that Trump will be 78 years old. And I know a 78-year-old man can get elected, but that was a big thing for the Republicans. This year, will they be fine with having a 78-year-old candidate in 2024? I don't know the answer to that. Excuse me. Um, but I, I do think it'll be really telling to see how the Republican parties uh, kind of treats Trump going forward. Uh, do they try to keep him kind of in his OANN, you know, 30 percent that are going to do anything for Trump at all the time and then try to you know, bring someone else in that um, that that contingent with Trump? Uh, I, I think only time will tell, but we'll see. That will be an interesting thing for sure. But Trump is not going away. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm tempted to skip this next question, but I know there's going to be a bunch of people listening that are going to want me to ask this. So because of the swings over the last 24 hours, uh, what happens if Trump and what, what happens if things swing back to Trump, Trump gets elected? What would be the investment implications then? Let's go with uh, Louis. Yeah, I'm, uh, I think you'd probably get a bigger rally in energy um, than uh, if, uh, if, if Trump gets elected. But I'm not sure uh, it uh, it makes that much. And you probably, sorry, uh, you probably have a sell-off in uh, in bonds uh, because then basically the reflation trade is back on. Uh, yeah. If Trump is in, uh, you know he's going to turn around and do the monster of all stimulus that you're going to have the biggest budget deficit you've ever seen, funded of course by uh, by central bank printing. Um, and and the the Senate Democrat, the Senate uh, won't be able, Republicans won't stand in the way. So I think if, if Trump is elected, you have you know, everything set up for uh, a big devaluation of the dollar, big global reflation, uh, and big steepening of the US yield curve. So if, if Trump is elected, I think you get big rally in energy, big rally in financials. Um, if Trump isn't elected, if you're Biden, if you have Biden, then what you have is you have a, a US Senate that is far more adversarial and isn't gonna roll over and spend as much money as, as um, uh, as Biden would wish, uh, and thus you probably get a marginally stronger dollar and uh, a flatter yield curve. For me, those are the, the important differences. Yeah, and I, so I guess I would say basically the same thing. I do think that you would get a, a decent-sized stimulus bill. You know, they were they wanted 1.8. The Democrats wanted 2.6. I think you land somewhere in the middle. I don't think that the Republicans want to make that a big political fight if Biden's elected. But if Trump gets the nomination and becomes the president for the next four years, I completely agree with Louis. You just kind of amplify everything from there. Equities rally. Financials actually do really well. And I think that the 10-year does sell off quite a bit. Well, not, I shouldn't say quite a bit. I, I don't think that interest rates are rising dramatically in the next 12 to 18 months, but I think they move from where they currently are. Uh, I do, by the way. 
I do think they rise quite dramatically. Yeah, and I would, I mean, obviously, the idea of Trump getting elected seems unlikely at this at this point, looking at the betting odds, but I guess you never know, right? That's what we've learned over the last 12, 12 hours or so, 12, 24 hours. So next question, maybe time for two more here, and then we'll wrap things up. But what are, what investment opportunities are flying below the radar that people should be following? I'll take this one quickly, and I think it's two that, like I said, not everyone's following. Some people may not be interested in these markets, but two good nights here in the U.S. were for – uh, markets that are becoming legal, that have been formerly illegal. Uh, you saw the gaming uh, basically in every state that was on the ballot. It was approved for uh, online gaming or expansion of gaming, uh, gambling in different states. Uh, so you're really seeing those, uh, those stocks rally this morning. And the other uh, area were the cannabis space, where again, every single ballot on the state level was approved, whether it was medicinal or uh, recreational. One reason that I think cannabis is selling off right now is because they expected the Senate to flip and then you'd get federal regulation that was more beneficial to the cannabis space uh, and then probably more capital coming in. But I think that both of those areas uh, from a market perspective, you know, had good nights last night and the trends are really strong. I always think about those spaces when I, when I talk about them. Uh, I know this is a simplistic, but I think of Louis moving to China before China was expanding. I think it's inevitable in 10 years we'll look out and those will be much bigger areas in the U.S. market. And I think while there will be volatility, buying those for the next decade will will be beneficial for investors. And, and again, last night just reinforced that. So um, I'll, to answer your question, Jeff, I'll, I'll go back to the to the analogy of the uh, of the football coach who has who has to put on a, a team. Uh, and indeed, and you know, for me, the quandary remains: How do you build your offensive line at a time when real rates all across the Western world are between minus 50 basis points and minus 250 basis points? That basically, you know, the building block around which portfolios have historically been built, namely bonds, uh, you know, you've gone from offensive linemen that weigh 350 pounds to offensive linemen that weigh 150 pounds. And who needs an offensive lineman that weighs 150 pounds? You know. I know, I know Jeff used to play football, and I'm, <laughs> given how he looks today, I'm not sure he'd be picked uh, to be in anybody's offensive line. No. Um, the, um, and so that's, that's – I was going to say uh, – I was going to say my 10-year-old my son's football team could use a, a few 150-pound <laughs> offensive linemen. <laughs> yeah, maybe Jeff can go play in an under-10 uh, football league. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah, a Jeff, 300 pound yeah. when I played offensive line. Yeah. Jeff is the Jeff is the, the perfect example of what's happened to government bonds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's shed he's shed all the pounds and he's now lean and mean. Um, so the the this is this is the challenge this is the challenge we uh, we we have today. Um, and today, when you look to build your offensive line with solid building blocks, I think the only uh, option left for investors uh, are um, Asian bonds. Uh, they're the only bonds that offer both low volatility, uh, rising currencies, and positive real interest rates. Um, and of course, this is all creating a positive cycle. So if you look at China, which started opening up its bond market to foreigners about 10 years ago, flows are now rushing in. Um, it's, the money is pouring into the Chinese bond market. Um, this is, of course, leading to a stronger renminbi. And as the renminbi goes up, then the, the government is left wondering, do we let the renminbi go up faster or do we try to push some of this money out? Um, 
And so to me, that's my starting point today. If you're the Chinese government, you have record high trade surplus today, record high, and never has a Chinese trade surplus been higher. And at the same time, you've got foreign money pouring in. What do you do with all this money? Either you let domestic asset prices go through the roof or you try to push it back out. Um, and so I think they're back to pushing it back out. And how do you push it back out? You buy, you buy gold, you buy copper, which they are doing. You reopen Macau, uh, which they are doing. So I think Macau is a terrific opportunity. Um, but deep down, you know, the, the opportunity set for me is first and foremost in Asian fixed income, which offers risk rewards that are simply unavailable anywhere else in the world. Uh, and given that, if that's your starting point, the consequent capital flows that are coming uh, into Chinese bonds have to go somewhere else. Um, and that leads me to be bullish Macau, bullish Chinese tech, uh, and bullish other assets around the region. Yeah, and maybe again on a follow-up call, we can dive into that area further and, and just get some more of your insights into it. So maybe final question here. Um, you know, the thinking going into this was if we did have a contested election, we, we would have a market sell-off, and yet we're, we're not seeing that. So I guess the question I'm anticipating from investors and clients is, should they be thinking about maybe selling into this rally? And conversely, uh, if we do see a pullback, is that something to be buying, buying into? Yeah, I guess I'll Jack, take you want to start from the from the evergreen investment team perspective. You know, coming into it, we thought that there was going to be volatility uh, around the election. Last week, we actually even started thinking about should we be buying into this sell-off. You know, the market was down. The S and P was down about eight or nine percent last week on Wednesday or Thursday. We decided to wait to really buy into it until after the election to get clarity there. Uh, so, I mean, I think you can sense we are looking to buy into to weakness here. Uh, we do think that there will be a stimulus bill in the next few months. We do think that there will be uh, a positive vaccine news. And once that happens, we think that the market will really start looking forward, become forward looking in 2021. And there could be a good rally and some upside here on the equity side. So the big concern for us was a contested election and volatility around the election. Now that we're kind of getting through that, or if we get through that, we would be looking to add to equities in any weakness from here. Unless something Louis, any final thoughts a caveat. Yeah, well, look, you know, the, the markets uh, made a high on, on September 2nd. Um, we're, you know, with today's rally, we're not that far off that high. Uh, but we also haven't taken back that high. September was a fairly ugly month for equities. October was another ugly month. November starting very well, very strong. Uh, but we haven't recaptured the high and we're, we're not that far off the high. So my, my take on this is... Um, you know, I think to, to confirm that this is all a happy event and we can all sing Kumbaya and we have nothing to worry about and we can all pat each other on the back, et cetera. You know, we're, we're what? We're a couple percent or two and a half, two and a half percent off from the, the September high. Uh, I'd wait for that to be taken out. Um, you know, this could be a dud rally uh, because at the end of the day, this is not today's news to me is not that exciting. Uh, Yes, sure, we don't have the blue wave, so yeah, I'll drink to that. Uh, but I'm not going to drink to the, uh, to the weeks ahead of court cases, of divided country, of potential riots or whatever else. Um, so, you know, I'd, I'd rather wait. Uh, and again, you know, if the market rallies, makes new highs, then, then we've got the confirmation that we're back in bull market mode. Uh, for now, it feels a lot to me that we're... Uh, we have increasing volatility in the market, 
and we're not going anywhere. Since early September, you have a bunch of days where you're going up or down two or three percent, which gives you ulcers and headaches, uh, and you're not moving forward. Yeah, well, I appreciate your guys' time and all your insights. I mean, we're living through history right now, and uh, you know, our style of managing money, it remains very tactical. So I think it's helpful for those that are following us, working with us, just to hear what, you know, what we're thinking, especially as we're going through this. So appreciate both your time, um, and we'll look to do this again. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Yep, talk soon. Okay, thanks, guys.